Welcome to FO Podcasts. With me is Chintan Vaishnav. He's a very interesting chap. He is an MIT faculty on leave to head India's Atal Innovation Mission. This means that he is the big boss who's supposed to build India's innovation system. Welcome, Chintan. Thank you very much. All right, Chintan. So we are talking about startups and uh, everyone hears a lot about startups these days. Uh, what exactly are startups and, and, and why is there such a big deal about this strange animal called startups? Or well, these strange animals <laughs> called startups? <laughs> well, that's seemingly very simple question. Is not that simple. What we have found is that there is this new kid on the block, a new type of economic entity, but there is no consensus on how it's defined across the world. Very quickly, uh, is it really much ado about nothing? Because businesses have begun since time immemorial. The Phoenicians were traders, uh, the Harappa, Mohenjo-daro dwellers, basically the Indus Valley civilization, they were traders, the Mesopotamians were traders, the Egyptians and the Greeks traded, they created businesses, there was demand of, yeah, for supply, uh, demand for goods and services. So what's new? So there are some fundamental differences. So think about five components. The type of legal entity this is. I mean, all, you're right, All anything that's big was small at one point in time. So even the large corporations. But does that make them a startup? Mm -hmm. uh, so if you think of five dimensions, what type of an entity this is legally? What is the age of this entity? What is the size of this entity in terms of revenue? Those, those first three are in common uh, with, with any type of business. But there are two more dimensions. Um, uh, one uh, is the how scalable is this entity? The conventional trading businesses are not necessarily all scalable, nor do they have to scale. But how scalable it is, uh, how rapidly can it scale? And second, uh, is there a component of innovation in this? So, for instance, if I am a trader and I am going to start a mom and pop shop, Typically, these these shops have a very clear understanding of a unit economics that I, I I put in so much money and I have so much return and so much time and if it works out then I will replicate and my returns are going to be uh, proportional to how many such outlets I have. This is in some ways McDonald's, for instance. I see. But when you add the component of innovation. I'm not saying McDonald's at this point doesn't have innovation. That it also has innovation. But if you if you, they give add, you heart attacks <laughs> <laughs> and diabetes. Get a big Mac and Coca-Cola. Buy one get one free. <laughs> you said it. And uh, not me. <laughs> but uh, uh, but, uh, uh, but but if you start with innovation, then I think what differentiates these new types of entities, the startups is that there is a good bit of uh, scientific or technological uncertainty Got it. Uh, so, that you so, have to overcome, and it may take time. And what, But once you overcome, then you, have, you can scale rapidly. Understood. So a classic example would be Google. 
or Amazon or Amazon. Take Amazon, 19 years. Yeah. It was making losses. Mm -hmm. But uh, now it's possibly going to be one of the largest uh, corporations we will have for a longer time. Understood. So basically, you you use technology, you come up with a solution to a problem, and that solution scales up. And, and that is what differentiates, say, uh, an Amazon from a family trying to sell shoes in some little town in any part of the world. Greater technological or scientific uncertainty, business model uncertainty, before you get there. Okay, brilliant. So, got it. So, you're using technology, you want to scale up. So, this, a good example of a startup is, of course, Amazon, but Uber, Google, so yeah. many unicorns sure. appearing in India, Facebook, uh, so China, elsewhere. In India. Yeah. yeah, those are startups. So, talk about India's innovation system because you are <coughs> drafting policy for the transformation of India. Apparently, that's the full form of Niti, correct? That's right. Niti, uh, where the innovation mission of India called the Atal Innovation Mission is, uh, uh, is based, uh, Niti uh, is a very clever acronym. Uh, Niti stands for policy. Niti stands for, uh, uh, for, for, for just policy. Um, and, and Niti is an acronym for National Institution for Transforming India. Good. So now that we are talking about transformation, um, and we have, we've already touched upon unicorns, and unicorns are in the news in India a lot. You hear about Lenskart, you hear about Ola Electric, you hear about them all the time. So what is the India story? Yeah, well, you know, unicorns um, get people's attention, so people talk about them. But I think, to me, uh, the cornfield that's growing is at least as important as unicorns are. In India, for instance, there are 115 unicorns, but there are close to about 100,000 startups, almost 99,000 plus at this point, uh, that are registered startups with the government of India's startup registry. So, and, and this has happened uh, in, in the last decade or so, with uh, uh, with emphasis on recognizing this new type of entity uh, and uh, making it a part of various industrial sectors. Uh, I, I have to start by saying that, yes, there's a lot of uh, excitement. India's startup ecosystem, uh, one would say, is the third largest startup ecosystem in the world after the United States and China. But we're still only, in, in my, my estimate, we're only about one-tenth of the way flat in our, in our journey. To why? Why do you say that? Because why? there's a lot of hype everywhere in the media here. So why do you say we're only a tenth of the way there? I'd say that because uh, there are 100,000 startups for 1.4 billion people. And that is not that's a big about, number. That's about... In, per, in percentage terms. Right. It, it, that's one startup for 14,000 citizens. Mm. Now, if you go to the startup nation of the world, say Israel. Israel, of course. One startup for about 1,400 citizens. If you make an assumption that mm. we have as much brains as anybody else, mm. uh, and we can... Well, some Israelis out. may disagree. My, my friends from the Israeli uh, defense forces and Israeli defense intelligence tell me that they are 
much more intelligent than anyone else. <laughs> reasonable people could disagree. <laughs> but <laughs> I'd like to believe that we, we have as much capability. Uh, then, then I think we have about, you know, um, we're one-tenth of the way. Uh, now, what, what's exciting, though, uh, is that... But they're, they're much more literate, Chintan. It's a much more literate country. It is a country which is really deep into technology. Everyone serves in the military and they learn how to work in teams. Uh, they're also uniquely um, uh, integrated uh, with the U.S. in particular. And so there, there are a lot of advantages that Israel has that no other country really in the world has. This is true. Now you, we're getting into the conversation about how to get there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how long will it take? How yeah. long will it take is an interesting question yeah. because in India, the doubling rate of startups has been five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, I, if I say that... We want from when? From when? From when are you calculating from, this from, doubling? From, uh, from, 2000, uh, from 2016... From mm-hmm. 2016, when we started registering them. Understood. So uh, now, yeah. if you think of it that way, then it will take us anywhere between 10 and 15 years to get there, for instance. To get to Israel's level. To, to, to get to that kind of density of startups. I now, see. They may not be similar startups. They may be different startups. But what we're learning, there's some very unique things happening in India that in many sectors, problems all over the world are the same. Take healthcare, for example. Mm-hmm. Problems are the same, mm-hmm. but the uh, uh, startups or innovations coming out of India have uh, particularly the affordability dimension of it, mm-hmm. which is very pronounced because the innovator is situated in a, uh, a context Correct. where affordability matters a lot. I mean, we, we are a poorer country, lest we forget uh, we've been independent only 75 years and, right. and, and um, we began as a socialist country. And so yeah. uh, for a long time, we, we artificially, it was actually socialism that uh, kept uh, India's growth rate in check. And it was ironically called the Hindu rate of growth. It had nothing to yeah. do actually with the religion. Uh, but uh, that genie is finally out of the bottle. And in healthcare, for instance, so many Americans are coming for operations here because they are cheaper, yeah. they are better. The uh, the care is superior. You do not have to battle with insurance agency, insurance companies, and copay and whatnot. So, yeah. in in many fields, you're right, absolutely, because it's a poorer country. People are are coming up with solutions that are more cost effective. They have to, yeah. and nobody hates a cost effective solution. I've found. Yeah, that's uh, certainly seems to be the case, huh? And, and <laughs> Everyone likes a deal. Huh? <laughs> yeah, go to go, go to go to a U.S. store after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and similarly, you, you mentioned Israel. Uh, I'll talk about an uh, example of uh, where how the school system here is changing. Hmm. Uh, for example, uh, you know, um, now across India, in ten thousand schools, there are maker spaces, and uh, the design thinking has become one of the most attractive things, mm-hmm. uh, attractive subjects. Yeah, just, uh, just uh, sorry to interrupt you, but explain to our listeners what is design thinking because it's very, very, very popular in, right. in U.S. Uh, circles, in entrepreneurial circles, in academic circles. But someone like my father, who's a brilliant surgeon, doesn't know what design thinking is. So 
what is design thinking? So design thinking is, a, in, in, simply put, a structured method to come up with a creative solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. So, now, so basically, it is giving structure to the creative to process. To the creative process. So it focuses the mind. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and it, no, it, well, it, it focuses the mind on uh, divergence first. Mm-hmm. Focus and flare. So. Uh, so, so, so flare and focus, mm-hmm. flare and focus. That's the uh, process that uh, this is. And, and so uh, if you look across these schools, these are children of, uh, you know, sixth through 12th uh, class. Standards, so six to twelve standards or class, whatever you want to call it. So, oh, sorry, grade. So or, grade or our audience is global. So they are right. between, let's say, 11, 12-year-olds to 17, 18-year-olds. Right, right. Now, these makerspaces, uh, now th- think about the schools. Uh, there have been three waves of uh, labs in these built in these schools. Uh, there was the wave of uh, science labs. There was a wave of computer labs. And now there are the, there's the wave of maker spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's yeah. the difference? Please uh, walk people, particularly who are not Indians. Uh, yeah. What are these three waves and when did they take place? Because so, you are, of course, a computer science professor. So you've probably, presumably, at least had experience of one of the waves. So, so science uh, labs are uh, physics, chemistry, uh, biology labs. Mm. Uh, that where where you do experiments and you you prove uh, what is already in a way. So you known. prove a theorem, basically. That's the practical a application of a, of of a certain scientific principle. Some certain scientific theory. Yeah. You're trying to practically prove and see whether that works or not for yourself. For yourself. Yeah. That's the science lab. The computer lab is uh, where you learn typically. How computers work, how programming languages, uh, uh, and uh, 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 and you program whatever you want to. Mm. Uh, the maker spaces uh, are those where something that's in your head uh, can be turned into an artifact mm. using a three D printer, using uh, electronic. A, a desk, a mechanical desk. So quite literally, you're making stuff. You're quite imagining something and then making it. So right. you, you didn't answer the question, when did these three waves come? So, so if you could... Yeah, yes, yes, yes. No, so the timeline I mean, as the, well. The, actually, so uh, to be honest, I don't know the exact uh, uh, years, but uh, I, uh, the science labs uh, were there uh, from, you know, 60s and 70s and 80s, uh, they were built as a part of these schools uh, for higher uh, grades. Uh, the computer labs uh, came about in uh, 80s and, you know, uh, going on to 90s. The maker spaces uh, uh, have been built since 2016 on. Uh, in fact, the office that I uh, uh, I run in India, Atul Innovation Mission, is the one that built these 10,000 maker spaces. Now, we see tremendous amount of creativity coming out of this from schools, uh, primarily because uh, it is in some ways an antithesis to the rest of the educational uh, setting in these schools. I see. So uh, these, these places have become uh, a refuge from the, the, the curriculum, and so the creative sort flock there. Absolutely. 
And yeah. these are places where there is no exam. These are the only places in schools where the problem comes before a solution comes. In rest of the education, you teach a solution and you ask a problem in the exam so that somebody can repeat the solution you have taught. Yeah, yeah. So, so now the inflection point, quite interestingly, uh, is that now that these three labs are there, recently we have begun to connect them through some purpose. Um, so for example, uh, recently, we connected these 10,000 labs to uh, what are called the agricultural science centers, which have existed for, these are the agricultural extension centers of the government of India, one in every district. Uh, we, we have now connected these makerspaces uh, students to these, uh, they're called Krishi Vigyan Kendras in, in India. We've connected them to these agricultural science centers so that somebody can begin to learn uh, scientifically about agriculture, but then maybe even use design thinking and come up with something. Uh, we're an agrarian nation. 50% uh, of our workforce works in farms. Uh, and so these types of, if, if, if all over the nation, if you can turn children uh, this is a very young nation also, as you know, you know, uh, almost 50% of our population is under 25. Um, uh, if you can turn young people to the challenges of the society uh, use and teach them to use innovation and entrepreneurship to solve these problems, uh, I think we will see something uh, very unique and new is my hope. Brilliant. So... You sound very positive on the India story. You've voted with your feet. You've moved from MIT to India um, in, in your rather resplendent office, I must say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> well, uh, given to me. <laughs> exactly. Now, now you're enthroned as, as part of the elite guiding India's destiny. But anyway. Uh, we've covered the somewhat covered, or at least we, we we've uh, we've had a thirty thousand uh, foot view of uh, the India story. Now, tell us what is going on in G twenty because many of these countries, of course, you have the big countries which are all fine. The US has a great innovation system. They have DARPA. They have, they they have, uh, Silicon Valley. They they have the Boston. Uh, hub where, where you teach. So they've got a lot going on. Even the Netherlands is not bad. They they, they have extraordinary uh, resilience as well as innovation. And uh, we know the story of, of, of the richer countries. What we want to learn is what's going on in, in say, Brazil or Kenya or Indonesia or Vietnam. Those are the stories we are very particularly keen on. Yeah, so I think that that's a great question. I, this year is a very unique year for the global startup ecosystem because uh, under G20, which is arguably the uh, most uh, um, action-oriented economic forum globally. Um, Created, by the way, after the financial crisis of 2007-2008. Right. Uh, and... Uh, that is when the G7, the big seven, realized that they themselves alone were not enough. The economic center of gravity was moving both south and east. Yeah. And ipso facto, many of these emerging economies that were once called developing countries, and many of them were former colonies, or you know, many of them were colonies, they are former colonies, they were finding their place in the sun. And, and the G20 was formed. And, and now this G20 
is apparently, according to Chintan, reaching an inflection point in the startup world. Yes, because, you know, uh, G20 from time to time until now, until this year, did talk about startups, but much of that conversation was under a group called the B20 or the Business 20. Mm. Now, Business 20, it also carries the agenda of the large corporations and there's enough to sort out there. And so... So it was a big boys club, really. More or less. And mm. and, and they, the big boys uh, sucked the oxygen in the room and startups got very little um, spotlight or attention. Right, right. And even though, I mean, I think there was appreciation for that there should be a conversation about startups. But uh, there was no structure to really give it the attention it needs. Uh, This year, as India um, took on the presidency of the G20, it proposed a new engagement group called the Startup 20 Engagement Group. Now, this gives startups a platform and equal voice to large corporations. And, and so in some ways, uh, the G20 architecture for the first time well, will produce a document that will go to the G20 leaders in terms of how we want the startup ecosystems of nations to come together to create a global startup ecosystem. So in some ways, it's a, it's a historic policy opportunity. Secondly, it, it makes the G20 architecture uh, what I'd like to call uh, ambidextrous in that on one hand, uh, there are these uh, smaller innovative entities called startups that can move fast and take on problems of the world. So they have the pace. They have the pace. They have the uh, creative freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, we have the large corporations that have the scale and capability to take good ideas global. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen this combination. And, in, and they have the muscle memory. They've done... They've done scaling yes. before. So Absolutely. they have the processes, they have the management team, and they exactly. have the reach. The, they have put in shoe leather over the years to have that ability to scale. Exactly. And if you think about any problem of global proportion that you care about, be it climate, uh, be it healthcare, uh, what have you, I'd like to submit to you that it would be impossible to solve those problems without having this combination. We saw this. We saw an example of this in during the pandemic times recently, where it was the smaller and the innovative. Uh, for example, Oxford came up with a vaccine that uh, AstraZeneca scaled across the globe. Um, BioNTech came with a vaccine that uh, Pfizer scaled across the globe. And it was just uh, that because th- this process goes on on a longer time scale all the time, although it's rather invisible. We have never been uh, sort of deliberate about it mm-hmm. uh, in, in the pandemic times. We saw it in a microcosm. And I think uh, for, for, for many of our global challenges, we will have to leverage uh, this uh, uh, ambidexterity. Okay. So you're saying we'll have to leverage it and and I'm all for it, but a lot of G20 countries, and I know you're in an official position, so I won't uh, take names. <laughs> I won't get you in trouble. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, a lot of them are former colonies, and they've had um, you know, problems with red tape. Um, they, they lost agency. They, you know, they developed rent-seeking <clears throat> cultures. They even developed perverse cultures that 
that were culturally against entrepreneurship. In fact, I always give the example of passive voice, which uh, my Mexican friends told me exists not just in the form of British colonies, but also in Spanish colonies. And a simple example, when you say it may be considered that this may be done, it may be considered that you may build the road, you know, instead of suggesting, let us build a road uh, here by 2030. Yeah. Oh, I suggest that we build a road by 2030. You know, that, that simple switch from passive to active voice uh, brings agency, brings confidence, you know, gets people uh, to rediscover their mojo. And are we there? Is the, are countries of the G20 there in terms of are they ready for this uh, startup fervor? Of course, India is seeing it. Um, you could argue Kenya had M-Pesa which was, you know, mobile payments even before India. So you could argue some countries are seeing it, but is it widespread enough? So we, I think we have started on that road. Okay. Um, I mean, arguably... uh, So we've taken the first step. The journey of 100 miles begins with the first step. Exactly, exactly. I think uh, if if you look at, you know, when when people talk about startup ecosystems, they talk about jobs created, Uh, valuations. Yeah. Valuations is, is something the media obsesses about. Right. But but to me, uh, I think in, in a nation like India, and I think many other nations, the, the, the thing that a startup, a functional startup ecosystem does to the legacy of that nation is that it creates, it has created a platform for risk-taking for young people that does not exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, all other institutions, you start with a family, very well-meaning. They don't want their children to take risk. Mm-hmm. They want them to be whatever, doctors, engineers. I, I don't blame them. I mean, they want them to not take risk. That's why they're doing it. You, you take corporations, large corporations, mm-hmm. uh, risk-averse, governments, super risk averse. Absolutely. So this is, for the first time, there's a platform that actually promotes risk taking and and uh, uh, rewards, as we know, are proportional to risks. So you, you're basically saying that just as Israel moved from the kibbutz socialist model, where people were you know, they were very hardworking, but they were largely risk averse when it came to business, certainly not military operations or intelligence gathering, but uh, they were certainly risk averse in business. And then, of course, it exploded into this extraordinary uh, startup nation with new companies, new products, new services, new technologies. Uh, you're saying that that is the transition that others um, have to try and emulate Right, that is the uh, that is the transition that we are beginning to see. That is the wave that we are beginning to serve. I think uh, it, the context today is uh, quite different. Also, you know that that shouldn't be forgotten. In that uh, we have uh, global economic channels. Uh, we have uh, democratization of technology. Um, it's it's well, technology much more. F- more uh, accessible. Um, we have the entire educational scene. It's it's much easier to learn things today than it used to be. If mm-hmm. you are interested in learning, and, and so on. Uh, so so I think it, it will uh, empower many people. Uh, these uh, the tools, 
situated in the uh, right uh, uh, market and uh, policy context. I see. I see. Before we carry on, but I must also, I'd be remiss not to point out that, yes, it has become a lot easier to learn. But for the motivated, uh, the cell phone is also highly distracting. And we are also seeing, as you know, Professor Jean Twenge did yeah. this monumental research about uh, uh, a mental health crisis amongst yeah. teenagers and high suicide rates in the US. Right. So we are also seeing that trend. So I'd be remiss not to point that out and just paint... Uh, a Pollyannish picture. Yes, yes. I know. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think um, with, with all technologies, uh, there comes a double-edged sword. So, and I think we'll have to manage them. But you're right. If you're motivated, you can go to um, um, edX or uh, Coursera or any of the great learning platforms and practically learn anything uh, right. pretty quickly. So that's certainly true. Uh, so. Yes, learning is becoming easier, technology is more distributed, so there'll be more startups. So all of that is true. Um, do you think uh, these G20 startups will have access to capital? Will capital flow to them? Oh, that's very interesting. So we, uh, you know, G20, uh, we started uh, this Startup 20 engagement group. I happened to chair it in uh, January of this year. January 2023. 2023. And uh, we have so far run an intensely uh, consultative process in that we've had great participation from nations in, in coming up with what we want to tell the world leaders in this policy communique. And, and recently, uh, in our third meeting uh, earlier this month, we, we agreed to call on uh, the G20 leaders to invest a trillion dollars by 2030 annually in the startup in the global startup ecosystem which would be a monumental step um, is it realistic it's ambitious but uh, if we're intent on it it's doable i say this because last year which was a somewhat of an unusual year uh, we had a very we had 0.7% of the global gdp about 700 billion dollars going into startups. So getting to trillion by 2030 is not impossible, but it, it requires us to be intentional uh, about it. All right. This is all jolly good. So hopefully that transpires and there are lots of new ideas that make their way as products and services and yes, we based also on came new up technologies with... and that'll net benefit for the world. Yes, we also came up with some very other interesting ideas which we hope to turn into action now. Uh, one is to create this global network of nodes like incubators, accelerators, etc. that exists across these nations mm. to, to, to unlock finance, for, for the flow of finance, market access, access to talent, etc. Mm. Uh, similarly, one part of this conversation has focused on uh, SDG uh, startups. And sustainable it, development goals, correct? Sustainable development goals focus startups. Now, uh, there are some... That is, those are things like clean drinking water, sanitation... Poverty alleviation. Poverty alleviation. There are 17 of them. There are 17 of them. Yeah. And what, what is... Uh, what is uh, uh, what was very interesting in terms of the debate was that as such, any business you ask to map themselves to... Uh, uh, the sustainable development goals 
Mm-hmm. They will find something or the other that relates to what it is that they do. So, mm-hmm. uh, but but not we do know that that's not the yeah. It way could become a become. it could become a box ticking exercise. In fact, right. the environment, social, and governance, the ESG model. I'm sure a lot of good comes out of it, but a lot of it is also greenwashing, as people are saying. Right. Exactly. So so this conversation has led to a proposal as to what a startup ought to declare for it to be considered an SDG-focused startup. And who considers? Uh, who, who will be the body who decides? Some bureaucrat sitting in, in Nairobi or some UN official in New York? So ideally not. Okay. Uh, ideally, uh, such a screen of, uh, you know, a, a willingness to be measured by impact on one or more SDGs that so, for which this startup. So was there'll created. be transparent uh, parameters. Transparent par- uh, parameters, which are used uh, ideally if they are used by the market or the people who invest in startups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 it, it if it is a, an entire entirely a market driven exercise, mm-hmm. that is when I feel it will succeed the most. I don't think it will succeed through some regulator somewhere saying thou shall look at a startup's valuation in this way or that Good. Way. So you're a Friedrich von Hayek man. Uh, <laughs> I'm my, my own man, but uh, I, well, uh, practically I, 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 having seen how uh, things work out, this is not an area where we need to induce uh, institutional failure. Understood. Uh, yeah. for that is precisely what Friedrich von Hayek warned in his yeah. road to serfdom and, and he yeah, you know, eventually ended up um, winning the Nobel Prize long after John Maynard Keynes, yeah. who had a slightly different proposition. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be fair, Keynes is misinterpreted no, because yeah. Keynes was a genius too, and he was right yeah. in many ways. And he uh, was right in his times. Also. That too, contextual. Exactly. So, so now that we've had a bit of a philosophical, um, shall we say, digression, which befits two people uh, who have uh, academic interests, we'll come back to practicality. And uh, Chintan, tell me, what is Startup 20, which you chair, apparently, uh, from your fancy office here? (laughs) (laughs) What is Startup 20 aiming to do? So the Startup 20 is uh, hoping that uh, the leaders would take on this idea of a trillion dollars by 2030 annually into uh, startups. uh, So so, Uh, so political or business leaders? Uh, political leaders um, okay. who, who will make, create this uh, enabling environment. Okay, uh, for, all right, for, all right. For, for they will not crack the whip and tell, invest. No. Uh, 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 yeah. Jump, uh, jump, perform, monkey, perform. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. That, that uh, would be a strange way to encourage uh, entrepreneurship. That, that would be a strange way to encourage entrepreneurship. But uh, we, we also have come up with several other global sort of, uh, well, I already told you about the global network. Uh, but... Um, a global definitional framework. I was telling you about the components of what a startup definition could be. Yes, we began the podcast um, with that. Yeah, legal entity, technology. Yeah, Mm. and and so similarly, we have said there can be a governance, uh, uh, what a governance uh, framework for a startup can be. Typically what happens is Mm -hmm. when you're a startup, you say, well, initially I have to figure myself out, so I'm not going to worry about good governance. Yes. But but, but what has happened is that in industry after industry, um, 
uh, it, it is really take IT industry of India for example. Um, it, it is not the it is not India's IT prowess alone uh, that has uh, led to a global market for it. Uh, it is really uh, giving the world the confidence that uh, these people can be trusted. They, they, their governance standards are rigorous um, and uh, transparent and so on. And I think we're trying to take startups in that direction. Only then will it become a legitimate uh, uh, component of the global trade. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's one, advocating for uh, some global uh, due diligence standards. Uh, because again, valuation, you know, the value has nothing to do with valuation often. That's a problem. A view to solve that problem. I mean, that, uh, that, that goes back, you could argue, to human nature, the South Sea bubble, the tulip bubble. Yeah, yeah. So we have yeah, seen that's those true. bubbles forever. I mean, look, look at the banking, the finan- global financial crisis of 2007, 2008. Derivatives right. were soaring sky high and it turned out to be a bubble. So that's... Yeah. Difficult. Uh, you know, I was in the city in London. I saw that bubble from the inside. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, I think so. I mean, if we were to succeed, yeah. uh, 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 the, the lessons from the bubble w- bubbles would be to how not to have a bubble. Or at least, uh, or, or at or, least, you know. At least understand uh, the, that this is a bubble. Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. Or at least to have more transparency. So, so you have less crazy bubbles and, and less inflated uh, startups. Because we right. saw what happened with Theranos. Right, right. So I think, so there's conversation about it, which yeah. is good. Uh, and then finally, uh, there's there's much conversation in Startup 20 about how to make startup ecosystems uh, more inclusive mm. of, of those groups that are, uh, that are underrepresented. And that yes. is a difficult problem because even today in Silicon Valley, you have... Uh, uh, you know, the great success of the Indians, of course, the Russians and of right. course, Israelis and and, and uh, Jewish people. And, and of course, you have the, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, the wasps who've done well. But even in the U.S. for all the efforts, uh, you have an underrepresentation of African-Americans and Native Americans. Right. And so that that's a tricky problem, isn't it? It's a tricky problem. Uh, and every... Uh, nation, bar none, has some uh, or the other underrepresented group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is, again, intimately tied to what we were discussing earlier, uh, the culture of risk-taking, the ability to take risks, the infrastructure and support so that somebody can take risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of this, we will have to, we'll, as we build, mm-hmm. we'll have to be mindful of those who are even more underprivileged. Mm-hmm. So, Chintan, you're sounding like Max Weber. You're really burying <laughs> Karl Marx uh, six feet under now. <laughs> well, uh, I, mean, uh, we, we, um, uh, I, I think uh, there should be space for everybody. Yeah. Excellent. So, what, what you're saying is the culture of risk-taking and the support structure for yeah. risk-taking is supremely important. And over time, uh, were that to happen, you would have less underrepresentation of groups those groups can be lifted up right right i think uh, if 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 they they become economically better mm-hmm. off uh, then uh, it will lead to some form of equality uh, even equality is not I, one, I, equity I think, is not one yeah. uh, sorry let's it, not get into that but yeah. i think more importantly because that's you're, uh, we are living yeah. at a time of massive inequality and rising right. inequality right. globally that's particularly right. in yeah. the us yeah. So I think 
Uh, the key thing, uh, but opportunity. Me. Yeah, the key thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. You've hit this. Uh, you, you said precisely the word that I was going to say: opportunity. What you're saying is that as they become more prosperous and as they have more access to knowledge and as they can tap into networks and as let's say poorer kids in India and elsewhere can play around in places like uh, yeah, these uh, maker spaces. Yeah then there, there is a chance that one or two, three, four or more might create great companies and maybe even globally successful companies. Yes, indeed. I have, I have, uh, I have full faith it will happen. Excellent. Uh, on that high note, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we will bid you adieu. If you like this podcast, make sure you like us, rate us, um, uh, subscribe to us and, and uh, share our uh, podcast with your friends. So from a very, very nice office, although now <laughs> a sweltering office because we've shut off the air conditioning, uh, from Atul Singh, it is bye for now. Thank you very much, Atul, for having me. Thank you, Chintan. <laughs>